Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I'm here to help you rock your hormones and feel great in your body so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. To most people's surprise, when it comes to hormones that influence weight, the top hormonal imbalance is an insulin block, also known as insulin resistance. Insulin holds a key to metabolic dysfunction or it can hold the key to metabolic flexibility. So why is insulin so overlooked when it comes to talking about women's hormone health? Well, the main reason is insulin is often wrapped up in the prediabetes and diabetes bucket of healthcare. And it's not typically addressed when we start to see women experiencing low energy, night sweats, stubborn weight gain, brain fog, irregular menstrual periods, heavy bleeding, and the symptoms can go on and on. But it's important to understand that insulin is the key. So when we are struggling with insulin resistance, which I am going to full on nerd out today and break it down in just a moment, so get ready. When we are struggling with insulin resistance, it's a vicious cycle to get out of. Because for some of us, even healthy complex carbs can exacerbate the issue and worsen insulin resistance. Basically, with insulin resistance, you can become carb intolerant to even the healthiest carbs like berries, sweet potatoes, squash, and apples. And that's why it's sometimes it's required to do a hard reset for a short amount of time to actually get you over the hump and start to create more insulin sensitivity. Oh, I know. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to break it down for you today and I'm going to explain to you not only why this is, but what we can do about it because I would never share a problem unless I felt like I had a very viable research-backed solution to give you. So what I first wanna do is provide you with a one-on-one breakdown of insulin resistance because most women after the age of 40 are dealing with some level of insulin resistance from a number of factors. Now, the three biggest factors that I find play a major role in why we are struggling with insulin resistance after the age of 40 is number one, the slow decline in sex hormones, namely progesterone, estrogen, and testosterone, right? As they precipitously drop and we lose these protective hormones, this can drive our bodies into a state of insulin resistance. Now, if you want to learn more about the interplay between insulin and your sex hormones, you know I got an episode on it. Turn to episode 274, why so many women are struggling with insulin resistance and poor metabolic function. Now, the second biggest factor I have found based on the research today is a decline in muscle mass starting in our 30s. So here's the deal. Low muscle mass equals less skeletal muscle for our cells to intake that excess glucose. If we don't have enough muscle mass to take in that excess glucose, we're going to have a situation of insulin resistance. And number three is, well, lo and behold, our diet in our 20s and our 30s even potentially earlier, could have been even in our teen years, that is lending to inflammation in the body and lending to inflammation in our cells, which is ultimately driving that insulin resistance. Now, I believe that knowing this information gives us the power to pivot as our bodies pivot during perimenopause and beyond so that we aren't struggling with sluggish energy, stubborn weight gain, and a brain that simply isn't working the way that it used to. Now, if I could go back to my 25-year-old self or even my 34-year-old self before all the wheels fell off at 35, 
I would have shared with her this very information, this very episode, but I am so grateful to know it now and I am privileged to be able to share it with you today. Now, after I break down how insulin works and why we get stuck in a state of insulin resistance for decades and decades on end, I am gonna share with you what we can do to create more insulin sensitivity and more metabolic flexibility because it's critical that we do this to lower our chances for chronic diseases down the line. I mean, at the end of the day, if the main goal is longevity and happiness and energy for many, many, many years to come, right, for decades to come, this is the information that is so critical to get us there. So let's get started with some pretty alarming facts that definitely concern me. What we know is that half of all U.S. adults are known to have insulin resistance and over 80% may have insulin resistance since we know that the estimates are low. Now, when we look even closer at women, over 65% of us have insulin resistance over the age of 40 due to the three factors that I mentioned earlier, along with some other factors that I'm gonna share later on, right? This is, it's nuanced when it comes to the factors. The three ones are definitely the big needle movers, but there's other considerations that I'm gonna be sharing later on. Now, an estimated 33.9% of US adults age 18 and older, this is over 84 million people have prediabetes but let me tell you, most don't even know that they have it. This is why I recommend getting a hemoglobin A1C lab test annually. This is the best indicator for knowing if you've got insulin resistance outside of looking at high triglyceride levels that you can easily get your GP to test for. Like your general practitioner should have no problem signing off on a hemoglobin A1C blood test. Now, what you're looking for in terms of levels, with a hemoglobin A1C, if you have a level of 5.7% to 6.4%, this indicates prediabetes and insulin resistance. Anything above 6.5% is considered type 2 diabetes. Now, it's important to note that if you are in the 5.7 range or higher, that you have had insulin resistance for a minute and that it is exacerbated to prediabetes and that you are still running a situation with insulin resistance at the same time. So do me a favor, next time you're at your doctor's office, just ask to get the blood test. And you can even ask for A1C or hemoglobin A1C. And I promise you, they will run it for you. Diabetes, prediabetes is the biggest epidemic that we're dealing with right now in this country. Let me tell you, they will run it for you. Now, I want you to know that a hemoglobin A1C is a better indicator than fasting blood glucose. And you don't need to be fasting to take this test. Anytime you go to your doctor, you can ask for this and they can do it. Now, if you are close to a 5.5 hemoglobin A1C level or more, ask to have it checked every three to six months to monitor the number. Now, what I'm gonna recommend today can help lower the number and lower your risk for prediabetes, metabolic dysfunction, and any other chronic conditions that can ensue because of this level of inflammation. All right. Here's the breakdown of what insulin does when your metabolism is working great and how we slowly create insulin resistance. This is what I'm gonna be explaining. Also, I'm gonna be explaining how it exacerbates our biggest chronic conditions and then what we can do to reverse the effects of insulin resistance and restore our metabolism so that we are feeling good, so that our mitochondria are working properly, that our brain is working properly, and that we can do life on our terms for as long as you want. Here we go. 
Insulin resistance has been pegged by researchers as a driving force and a root cause behind many different serious health concerns, including type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, PCOS, also known as polycystic ovarian syndrome, thyroid dysfunction, muscle loss, obesity, a fatty or sluggish liver, certain cancers, and Alzheimer's. But beyond these long-term factors, insulin resistance can really derail your daily success by causing symptoms like heavy bleeding during your period, uterine fibroids, fatigue, especially midday, hot flashes and night sweats, acne and other skin irritations, sugar cravings, stubborn belly fat, or an inability to lose weight despite exercising or dieting, getting sick often, poor sleep, an accumulation of visceral fat and inflammation, pelvic pain or frequent urinary leaks, and other worsening perimenopause symptoms. Now, if you're experiencing any of these symptoms, I recommend making changes to feed your gut and protect your liver and lower insulin resistance. And what I'm gonna be talking about today is going to help you do this. Now, also, I want you to know that I have a free little gift for you today, just kind of set you up for success. I have my top 10 liver-loving superfoods guides with recipes included, because it's one thing to have a list of superfoods to eat. It's another thing to actually know what to do with them that you can literally begin incorporating today. Every recipe is designed to not only support your gut and liver, but it will also help keep insulin levels stable. So you can go and grab the recipe guide in the show notes because I'll tell you what, it is a great first place to start outside of the recommendations that I'm gonna be giving with you today. Whew, now that you have this epic gift, let's start by walking you through the digestion of a perfectly functioning body. So when we eat food, certain foods cause a rise in blood glucose levels, right? That's normal. Of the three macronutrients, carbohydrates, proteins, and fats, only carbohydrates make a very substantial impact on blood glucose levels. Carbohydrates or carbs are foods like grains, bread, cereal, pasta, rice, sushi, oatmeal, starchy vegetables like potatoes, corns, and peas, beans, milk, yogurt, fruit juice, obviously sweets and sugary beverages, right? These are all under the umbrella of carbohydrates. Now, when we eat carbohydrates, whether it's a bowl of whole grain pasta, or it is a bag of potato chips, or it is your mama's favorite sweet potato pie, whatever it is, as soon as those carbs, those sugars hit your tongue, they immediately begin to break down into glucose, AKA sugar. Now this breakdown into glucose continues as these carbs move through the stomach into your small intestine. From there, the glucose leaves the digestive tract and enters into the bloodstream. Now, the more carbs you eat, the higher blood glucose rises immediately after that meal. And depending on the carb, just note that blood sugar can rise even faster. Now, for example, now I remember I wore a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor for almost six months. So for example, if you were to drink a milkshake or a Starbucks Frappuccino, or even a super, like a full fruit smoothie, this will raise your blood sugar the fastest because it is liquid, simple sugars. Now, as glucose enters the bloodstream, the body sends a signal to the pancreas to create insulin. This is the hormone that takes glucose out of the blood and feeds it into the body cells like your skeletal muscle cells. Hence why it's so important to have a lot of skeletal muscle cells. Now, insulin is needed, absolutely needed to shuttle glucose from your blood into your muscles and fat cells, where it can be used for energy and stored for later use. Insulin also signals the liver to take in the excess glucose and store it as glycogen for later, later use. I'm gonna talk a little bit about this in just a moment. Now, this is your body striving to closely regulate your blood sugar levels 
every time you eat. This is how it goes down, right? Without insulin, your blood glucose levels will stay elevated for a much longer period, and that would be extremely, extremely bad news. This is why people with type 1 diabetes, which is an autoimmune condition that affects the pancreas, they must take insulin every single day via injections or a pump because if blood sugar, right, if, if chronically elevated blood sugar levels cause inflammation, this inflammation damages your blood vessels, damages your kidneys, your eyes, your nerves. And this is why diabetes can lead to many health complications. So I just wanted to paint the picture why this is so, so critical. Now, your body wants to maintain a healthy level of blood glucose to keep you healthy and to keep all systems functioning optimally. Basically, your body has to do this in order to keep your body functioning properly. However, due to a number of factors, the three that I talked about earlier, but also probably another big factor is the steady increase in carbohydrate consumption over the course of many years. The cells can't burn through the stored glucose and they are actually full of excess sugar. So you can imagine your skeletal cells, your everyday cells, these cells are full of glucose. Now because of this, cells downregulate the receptor sites that insulin can bind to, not allowing more glucose in as a form of protecting themselves. As a result, the pancreas releases more insulin so that insulin is pushing the glucose into the cells whether they want to or not. With insulin resistance, a greater amount of insulin is needed to get the same amount of glucose into your cells. So insulin is no longer able to push glucose efficiently inside of a cell and the cell becomes numb to the effect of insulin, basically as a protective mechanism. The cell's like, I can't do anymore. I can't add any more of this glucose. It's making me sick. But insulin's like, well, let me rise up. I'm making more and more of this so that I can get as much glucose into a cell that really can't handle any more glucose. So imagine insulin is the train pusher at the train stop, shoving more people, aka the glucose, into an already full train filled with people. And as the condition worsens over time, insulin levels can remain elevated even when you haven't eaten anything. This is called hyperinsulinemia. And therein lies the bigger problem. When we are in a state of hyperinsulinemia, when insulin remains high no matter what, Insulin becomes a fat storage hormone, pushing more glucose into the liver and forcing the liver to turn that glucose into triglycerides to make more room for more incoming glucose. Over time, this leads to fatty liver disease and stubborn weight gain around the belly and around the organs. Now, commonly, people assume if blood sugar levels are too high, the problem must be that the body needs more insulin. But it's not that there's a lack of insulin production. You're cranking insulin in the state of insulin resistance. Rather, the excess insulin the body is making is not working properly, right? It has gone haywire. So we don't know exactly the full ins and outs of why insulin resistance happens. It's mainly thought to be caused by chronically elevated levels of fatty acids in your bloodstream. Now, insulin resistance is related to a host of factors, including genetics, increased carb consumption, ethnicity, sleep, exercise habits, smoking habits, and more, including the sex hormones that I mentioned, the muscle mass that we lose, and just the overconsumption of carbs over many, 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 many years. But what we do know is that people who are obese, particularly those with higher amounts of visceral fat, that deep abdominal fat that surrounds several vital organs, they are more likely to be insulin resistant. 
We also know that losing excess body fat often resolves insulin resistance. Now, another piece of this puzzle that needs to be explored is, in addition to insulin's role as the key regulator of blood glucose, it is well known that insulin inhibits lipolysis. Now, during lipolysis, stored fatty acids are moved out of your fat cells into your bloodstream where they can be used for energy. Now, let me give you an example of when this would happen. Let's say you do an 18-hour intermittent fast. What happens is if you haven't eaten in those 18 hours and your cells and your liver have burned through glucose and glycogen, then your body has to go into fat reserves through a process called lipolysis to start moving that fat out to use for energy, right? Now, when this process is inhibited, as it is when insulin levels are high, right? That hyperinsulinemia that I talked about earlier, fewer fatty acids are available to fuel your muscles or other metabolically active tissues. Because of this, many people equate insulin resistance with turning off your body's ability to burn fat. Hence the stubborn fat when you feel like you are doing everything right. But there's more. Insulin also stimulates lipogenesis. Now, during lipogenesis, fatty acids are moved from your bloodstream into your fat cells where they are stored for later use. This is often referred to as being in fat storage mode, something most people try to avoid. What's more, lipogenesis can also cause carbs to be converted to and stored as fat, known as de novo lipogenesis, also known as DNL. It's important to note that although de novo lipogenesis only happens in meaningful amounts when there is an overall surplus of carbs and calories, that is, you are eating more calories than you can burn. As a result of these effects, you might conclude that insulin is a real problem for fat loss. Insulin inhibits lipolysis, the breakdown of fats, because you just consumed nutrients, specifically carbohydrates and our proteins, but mostly carbohydrates. And it's more efficient for your body to use those incoming nutrients for energy than to liberate the stored nutrients, specifically fats for energy. So think of it this way. If you have $100 in your pocket and you want to buy $25 in groceries, you wouldn't go to the ATM for more cash. You'd use the money that's already in your pocket. In this case, you'd use the glucose that's coming in. Similarly, why would your body release stored fat into the bloodstream for energy when there's plenty of incoming energy, aka glucose, already available. So until we decrease that glucose supply, which can be extremely abundant, we can't tap into the fat reserves, right? And if you are operating at a place of hyperinsulinemia, where no matter what time of the day, whether you're eating or not eating, you have an elevated amount of insulin in inside of your bloodstream, this is when we become carb intolerant. This means that any carb, even a healthy carb, is going to sway you into a major blood sugar swing. And that is problematic because then you're in a constant vicious cycle of stubborn weight gain, fat storage, and insulin resistance. And that requires a hard stop, right? So I wanted to just speak into what that looks like. So now that you have a context for how insulin resistance is potentially created and how insulin resistance persists, I want to spend some time on what we can do to give your body a system reset. Because you may be thinking to yourself, what if I'm insulin resistance, right? Here is how you address it. One of the most challenging parts of insulin resistance is the difficulty in reversing it. 
The most researched way to reverse insulin resistance, prediabetes and type 2 diabetes is losing visceral fat. That is that deep fat around your organs and your belly. But how do you do that if too much insulin is in the blood and it's blocking the release of the stored fat into the bloodstream, right? How do you bypass that broken system? Well, in some cases, I'm not going to lie, it requires more drastic measures to reset this powerful hormone. But there are things that we can do on a daily basis to reset our blood sugar, insulin, and metabolism. And I think what's important is to test and measure where you're at. If you are at a place of prediabetes and diabetes, best believe you've had insulin resistance for a long time and just requires more drastic measures to make a shift, right? But if we're just dealing with a situation where we've got insulin resistance and we haven't gotten to these other levels of metabolic dysfunction, these are the recommendations that I think are going to really move the needle for you. So I have, I believe I've got 10 recommendations and the first one is not the sexiest, but I think it is often we don't think highly enough of it. It's often overlooked. We think we can get away with not doing more of this and that is high quality sleep. Quality sleep matters when it comes to restoring metabolic function. Just that is just the way it is. It is critical that we reset our circadian rhythms by incorporating evening rituals and morning rituals. So I want to walk you through what the evening looks like and then what the morning looks like. Now for your evening to reset those circadian rhythms, and I know that many of us are just recovering from daylight savings the last week, but it's important that we eat three hours or more, like have a window of three hours before you go to bed that you have dinner so that at least your body has three hours or more of time to digest that food. And that gives your body a break to go into restoration mode while you sleep. What we know is that your brain needs a three hour break of dealing with all of the you know digestion and everything that happens after you have a meal so that it can go in and clean house to fully remove excess toxins and junk from working hard all day long. Now, I also recommend in order to get that deep sleep, 30 minutes before bed, take 300 milligrams of magnesium glycinate. And I have a great supplement called Zen Sleep that can really get the job done. Now, my Magnesium Restore supplement is perfect to support relaxation and mood before bed. It literally can shut down all that mental chatter and the endless to-do lists that are going on and kind of calm the mind, relax the muscles, just get you ready for a nice, peaceful, deep sleep. Now, you can pair this, if you're going through perimenopause or even menopause, you can pair Magnesium Restore with GABA, like a Pharma GABA or a Taurine. And magnesium, I'll tell you what, is one of the best superstars supplements when it comes to supporting insulin sensitivity and for helping to protect your liver, especially at night when we are naturally more insulin resistant. Also, in terms of hygiene, when it comes to getting a good night's sleep, no electronics or blue light an hour to 30 minutes before bed so that you are pumping that melatonin that you need so desperately and make sure that your room or your bed is dark and cool enough so that you are not restless and you're able to get into that deep sleep. You know this, aim for at least eight hours per night and make sure those eight hours are full of high quality shut-eye, meaning that you spend as much time as possible in REM sleep and in deep, deep restorative sleep. This means creating a sleep routine. And let me tell you, I hook you up. I'm sharing it with you now, a little bit of it. I have an epic sleep routine in my latest book, The EO Menopause Solution. If you haven't grabbed a copy of that book, I highly, highly recommend it. 
Now let's go to the morning. So you've had your deep, amazing sleep, right? Resetting your circadian rhythms there. Then in the morning to help turn on your cortisol awakening response, this is driven by cortisol, to make sure that your body is fully awake and that your body is generating energy for you, I highly recommend going outside in nature and getting some fresh air in the first 30 minutes after you wake up. Not only will this boost mitochondrial levels because this is like a very easy, graceful way of doing hormesis, which is stressing the body to produce more mitochondria, but it also helps you to lower stress and it helps you feeling more energized. I'm telling you, try this this week and you will feel a difference. Now, if you really wanna take it to the next level in terms of energy and boosting your metabolism, try exercising 15 to 30 minutes or more outside, even if it's yoga or Pilates or taking a walk, getting where you fit in. I recommend doing this in the morning while you still are in the fasting state. You're still in fasting mode from the night before because if you are still fasting at this time, you are going to be able to tap into that glycogen store or better yet, you may have already burned through glycogen that night and now you're tapping into fat storage, right? You're tapping into that lipolysis that I was talking about that we want so badly to start burning off that excess fat that we're holding on to. Now, this will help to stabilize your blood sugar levels as well, boost insulin sensitivity, and also boost energy, right? It's a win-win-win across the board. Plus, when you work out when cortisol is at its peak in the morning, you feel great. Versus trying to work out <laughs> in the afternoon or evening when you are already feeling drained and burned out because your body is in wind-down mode, right? I cannot work out past like two o'clock in the afternoon anymore. I just feel like, ugh, because my body's already winding down for the day. All right, so that is how we reset our circadian rhythms. And I feel like these are small and simple rituals that we can absolutely leverage for our morning and evening routine. Number two is intermittent fasting. This is a very effective strategy for reducing inflammation, lowering blood sugar levels, boosting energy and focus, and getting your body in fat burning mode and increasing mitochondrial function. Now, I recommend aiming, when you get started on this, aiming for 13 to 16 hour window, three to five times a week. Now, a 16 hour window is ideal. This leaves you with an eight hour eating window in the day. And if you can really push it, like really, really push it, try to up it to a 20 to 24 hour window. These extended windows can lend to burning more fat and has been shown to, in some cases, reverse prediabetes and diabetes. Now, if you want to repair your cells via cellular autophagy, right, do some cellular cleanup, try a 17 to 18 hour fast one to two times a week. Cellular autophagy is the act of literally your cells doing some major spring cleaning and getting rid of any waste that it doesn't need and burning off some excess glucose that it probably wants to get rid of. And when we give ourselves time to clean shop, it significantly extends our longevity. Also, a 70 to 18 hour fast is great, again, for that lipolysis, burning off that excess fat. So just be thinking about that. Now, if you want to dive in deeper into this conversation, I have an amazing interview with Dr. Mindy Pels, who is literally the intermittent fasting expert for women. And there is some considerations to consider when we're cycling and when we're in perimenopause. 
But in menopause, we really have a lot more freedom to really play with this. And I have an interview coming up in a couple weeks with Cynthia Thurlow. Her new book is Intermittent Fasting Transformation. So hold out for that interview coming up in a couple of weeks where we dive deeper into this conversation. All right, number three. Break your fast with powerful nutrition, with protein as the focus. So start your day with 16 ounces or more of my belly slim down water to help give your liver, gut, and belly de-bloat and help it function so much better. So what this little belly slim down water is, it's super, super easy. You can make it the night before, even a couple days before, just have it in the fridge. Take a two liter glass jar, Add in purified water, squeeze in a whole lemon. I'm feeling Meyer lemon right now so, so much. Add 10 to 15 mint leaves and a whole slice of cucumber and a little dash if you love cayenne pepper or ginger root if you're feeling a little spicy, a little metabolic booster. Because what we know is that cayenne pepper can boost your metabolism and help you burn an extra 50 plus calories a day. So just something to consider. Next, when it comes to breaking your fast, add cinnamon to your coffee instead of sugar, right? We've got to be breaking up with sugar if we want to reset insulin levels because sugar is only exacerbating the problem. So this is a really easy cut. This is a really easy way in which we can cut out that excess sugar. Remember, when sugar is in a beverage, it hits the bloodstream way faster, spiking our blood sugar. So can you imagine waking up every single day, instead of keeping yourself in kind of a fasting state where you're burning off that excess glycogen, moving into fat burning mode, you add sugar to your coffee and bam, you have a massive sugar spike where you have to drive more insulin into the system so that you get rid of that sugar, right? So cinnamon, not only is it amazing for stabilizing blood glucose, it's also very heart protective. And to me, it may take a week to get used to, but I love sugar in my coffee. I've been drinking sugar in my coffee or my tea, my matcha latte for well over a decade. I think since 2008 is when I switched over. And it is like, again, you just, you don't go back. Now make sure number three, a part of, you know, setting yourself up for success. The first meal of the day is make sure you have plenty of protein at every meal, especially breakfast, no matter when you have this first meal, right? Breakfast can be 10 a.m., 11 a.m., 12 p.m., getting where you fit in. Breakfast for me, I don't eat breakfast foods. It's always, I'm having a salad with chicken or I'm having salmon with grilled veggies for breakfast, right? There's no breakfast foods in my world anymore. It's just whatever I have left over or whatever I can throw together that morning. So aim for 25 to 30 grams of protein at every single meal minimum to support those muscles, right? We don't want to lose more muscle mass and to aid in stabilizing glucose and insulin levels. Now here's why. Protein will give your metabolism a boost thanks to a process called thermogenesis. When your body uses about 10% of its calorie intake for digestion, because it takes longer to burn protein than carbs or fat, your body uses more energy absorbing the nutrients in a high protein meal. Protein also blunts a big sugar rise when consumed before and during a meal. Even though protein contains no glucose, it triggers what we call a first phase insulin response. And that occurs so fast that it keeps your blood sugar from rising as high later and reduces the total amount of insulin that you need to handle a meal. So just a heads up, that's a hack that I think is super, super cool to be able to put in play. Also consider 
always, 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 always adding fiber to every single meal. Soluble fiber in particular can help control blood sugar spikes. It dissolves in water to form a gel-like substance that helps to slowly the absorption of carbs in the gut. It's like it literally puts a gel around the epithelial layer of your gut and just slows everything down. This result is a steady rise and fall in blood sugar rather than a spike. Fiber can also make you feel full. Your microbiome loves it. Your colon loves fiber. I mean, everybody in the body loves fiber. And this also reduces your appetite and your food intake. I personally add fiber to my green smoothies every single morning around 10 or 11 o'clock. And I also eat a salad before my biggest meal of the day. Honestly, I eat salads all day long. I eat... (laughs) That is just either it's in a smoothie or it's in real salad form. Like tonight after I finish this, we are having steak salad. We're having a super sexy steak salad. I'm super excited. Lots of bitter greens, lots of colors of the rainbow, avocado, some, I want to say, I think we're having some walnuts in there. So I'm really excited to get to that meal (laughs) pretty soon. And a small salad before a big meal will help soak up the starch and sugar from the meal and slow down that blood sugar increase. Lastly, consider eating lightly cooked vegetables during a meal to slow down the digestion of a meal and to help soak up any excess sugar that could be coming from rice or could be coming from bread or whatever, whatever you're eating. Just a heads up. Number four, we're getting there. We're getting there. Number four, walk 20 to 40 minutes after meals, especially after dinner. Now, I know you've heard me say this. I have a whole episode on walking being like one of the best things that you can do for your health. But especially at dinner, because you are most insulin resistant naturally at that time. Research has shown that walking after eating improves blood sugar management. Based on one current data, the ideal time to walk is immediately following a meal. At this time, your body is still working to digest food you've just eaten, allowing you to obtain benefits like improved digestion and blood sugar management. While walking after your meals may lead to the most optimal benefits, simply taking a walk after dinner can make the most massive difference. But let me tell you, getting where you fit in. I try walking all the time, anytime that I can do so, but always I try to walk after dinner. Number five, this is a big one, but I just got to share it with you. I know you know this already is cut out processed food as much as possible. Honestly, just make a commitment to cut out processed food altogether especially processed carbs. Yes, the sweet potato corn chips. Yes, the potato chips. Yes, the granola bars, whatever it is, right? And what I recommend is if you're like, I don't know exactly how to do that. I recommend following the five ingredient or less rule when it comes to reading the ingredient label. And ideally, try to stick to one to three ingredient labels or even better, or no labels at all, right? Carrot is a one ingredient. Bell peppers are a one ingredient. Arugula is a one ingredient. Avocado is a one ingredient. Cherries are a one ingredient. This is where I want you to play. Number six, focus on two or three meal magic. This is a term coined by my dear friend, Trisha Nelson, who, oh my gosh, she has two TEDx talks, by the way. I just recently had her on the show. And what it is, is the focus is all about getting all of your nutrients you need from these two to three meals during the day. And this means no snacks. I know it is harder than it sounds. There are definitely days where I want a snack. And I'll tell you what, I'm always one thought away from snack or no snack. And oftentimes I like, I have a list of things that are just as equally as amazing as a snack, right? Cause a snack is usually a craving for an unmet need. 
a walk outside, listening to Aretha Franklin, breathing in an essential oil, like they literally equal the same thing as having that snack. I'll tell you what, when I don't snack, which pretty much I don't, it makes all the difference in the world. Not only does it give your digestive system, your metabolism, your cells an opportunity to turn that meal into fuel for your insulin and blood sugar levels to stabilize, if we frequently eat eat meals throughout the day, we never give our body the opportunity to go into fat burning mode and we are constantly in sugar burning mode. So I just want to speak into that, right? If, remember we talked about having $100 in your pocket and you're buying something for $25, you would never need to go to the ATM, right? To start into fat burning mode because you've got that money in your pocket. So if you're constantly eating snacks and you're constantly eating throughout the day, your body is constantly getting glucose all day long, it's never going to feel the need to go into fat burning mode. Hence the importance of intermittent fasting and also hence the importance of having breaks before your three or two meals. So, you know, let's say I have lunch at 12, then I don't have dinner until five or six. I usually eat before seven because I have like at least a 12 hour fast from seven to seven. I want that five hours or more in between meals, four to five hours, give or take, because that gives my body the opportunity to repair and restore from that meal, right? Eating and digestion is such an energetic process that requires so much work from the body. It also creates oxidative stress. So the more that we can give ourselves some time to actually break all that down, assimilate it, and give your body, gosh, at least an hour to be like, thank God I'm not in digestion mode for a second, right? that makes all the difference. Number seven, swap your 45 to 60 minute cardio routine for lifting weights for 20 to 30 minutes, three to four times a week and make them as heavy as you can. I mean, rep it out until your muscles are fatigued. This is a game changer. This will help you to increase muscle mass and help to stabilize insulin levels. This is huge. I know so many people are uncomfortable with lifting heavy weights or lifting to fatigue, but this is the ticket, right? To really creating that muscle mass that we need for helping to burn fat and helping to get us back into a state of insulin sensitivity. This has been the game change. My workouts are never longer than 30 minutes, maybe 35 minutes sometimes, but it's like I do 15 minutes of cardio some days and I do like a a 15 to 30 minute set of weight training with a little bit of HIIT training as well, you know? So this has been the biggest game changer for me, but anything more than 30 to 35 minutes, I just burn out. So that's my perimenopausal body. (laughs) I need to honor that. Number eight. Ooh, this is the lesson I always need. Breathe. (laughs) Deep breathing throughout the day increases your vagal tone, which activates the parasympathetic nervous system, which is known as the rest and digest system. Given how often we are feeling stressed and firing off that sympathetic nervous system, aka the stress response system, aka survival mode, it's critical to focus on increasing our vagal tone so that your body can relax faster after encountering a stressor. So I recommend setting three to four reminders on your phone each day to breathe deep for 30 to 60 seconds to shake it, shake it, shake it out, right? And to just, you know, get into a great state of reduced stress because when we're in a state of stress, we drive insulin resistance. This is so, so critical to know. So you can actually be in a state of insulin resistance and have not eaten anything because you're stressed and because you may have hyperinsulinemia as well, right? Okay, number nine, reduce your sugar intake. I have to say it because 
It's just got to be said. Research suggests that most Americans eat anywhere from 55 to 92 grams of added sugar every single day, which is the equivalent to 13 to 22 teaspoons of table sugar each day, representing about 12 to 16% of daily caloric intake. The World Health Organization recommends less than 5% of our calories from added sugar for optimal health. Mm-hmm. Most added sugars in the American diet come from sugary drinks, sodas, sports drinks, energy drinks, sweetened teas, smoothies, name it, uh, frappuccinos, vanilla lattes, right? All of that. Swap out sugary drinks for sparkling water with lime, teas, coffee, matcha, and water, right? This is the key. We've got to swap out these sugary drinks because this is the major contribution to the 50 to 92 grams of sugar that we're getting every single day. Note also grain and dairy-based desserts such as cakes, pies, donuts, ice cream account for more than 18% of the intake of added sugar. So swap out desserts for warm tea with almond milk, dark chocolate, berries and coconut whip, peaches and other fresh fruit with cinnamon, right? There's ways to get that little something without jacking up high levels of blood sugar spikes. Snacks are another area, we just talked about that a second ago, where hidden sugars are found, right? Ideally avoid snacking to give your body a break from digesting and metabolizing. If you need a snack, consume snacks that are focused on protein and fats, such as no sugar added jerky, nuts and seeds, hummus and veggies, nut butters, and just full on vegetables, right? Those are going to be the thing, but do your best to just have really substantial meals with protein, healthy fats, and fiber so that you don't find yourself needing to snack throughout the day because your body should really get what it needs from those that three meal or two meal magic. Number 10, include magnesium, chromium, and berberine into your daily supplement routine. With the exception of berberine, if you're breastfeeding, and I think even pregnancy, something to look out for, these are boosters, right? And oftentimes, all the lifestyle habits that I just mentioned are so critical, but sometimes we need extra support, extra help. Studies have shown that both chromium and magnesium can be effective in controlling blood sugar spikes. Berberine has been used in traditional Chinese medicine for thousands of years. Some of its benefits have been used to include reducing cholesterol, weight loss, and blood sugar control. Studies have shown that you can reduce blood sugar spikes by 25% after you take berberine. Now, berberine has been shown to be as effective as metformin in helping to address insulin resistance and blood sugar spikes. And berberine does this by reducing the amount of sugar produced by the liver and increasing insulin sensitivity. It has been found to be, again, as effective as some drugs, including metformin, for type 2 diabetes. In fact, I want you to know, this is just a little sneak preview, that I am releasing a glucose support herbal blend to help stabilize blood sugar levels and insulin. It's going to contain berberine, cinnamon, fenugreek, and American ginseng, and a couple other herbs. I plan on releasing, I'm super, super excited. I haven't had a new supplement released in a while. I plan on releasing it in approximately two months. I literally just approved the label for the supplement earlier today and the supplements are ready to ship to my distribution center, which I'm so excited about. This has literally been a year in the making. And literally since I started wearing a CGM last spring, I'm like, I need a glucose support blend that really, really moves the needle. And lo and behold, here we are. I'm super excited and I will definitely keep you in the know as to when um, my glucose support blend is going live. 
Now, you should know that I carry a lot of these other supplements, as I mentioned today, in the Essentially Whole store, whether it's magnesium or B vitamins or vitamin C or Zen Sleep, you know, all of these particular supplements are phenomenal for helping to stabilize blood sugar levels and help to protect your liver. So if you want, I will have the link in the show notes. You can go and stock up if you're running out of anything. The bonus that I want to share with you is love your liver. As I mentioned earlier, your liver is a big part of the puzzle here. Your liver is critical to metabolic function and it plays a huge role in fat storage. So daily liver support includes being mindful of eating sugary foods, right? Being mindful of alcohol and medications and doing the morning boosting metabolic routine that I shared earlier to make sure that you are well supplemented. Now, one of the best-selling supplements that I carry is my liver support supplement that has many of the vitamins that I talked about, vitamin C, selenium, cofactors like alpha-lopaic acid and N-acetylcysteine and hepatic herbs like turmeric to support and heal your liver. Goodness knows in today's world, your liver needs as much support as you can give it. And to further love your liver today, I am gifting you my top 10 liver loving superfood guide with recipes included that you can go and download by heading to the show notes and clicking the link. That was a mouthful. I hope that despite the little mistakes I made today in reading all of that off and making sure that I delivered all the information to you, that you got a good sense of what it looks like when our body's humming, how we move into insulin resistance, and then what we can do to reverse it and get ourselves back to a more metabolically flexible state. Now, whether you've got insulin resistance or not, which I am holding the vision that you don't, I luckily I don't have any insulin resistance yet, or at least not at a level that is perceptible. All of the things that I mentioned today are going to keep you in a really happy, optimal, healthy state. That's what's up. So if you were even looking to prevent something like insulin resistance or any metabolic dysfunction down the road, the recommendations that I gave to you are going to move the needle. So I want to just say, as always, whoo, Thank you so much for listening in on the Essentially You podcast. This show is all about providing tools to rock your hormones and feel amazing in your body. If there is someone in your life that needs to hear this today, because I know there is, take a moment, screenshot it, shoot a text over to them, or share it on social. And when you do, as a way to spread the word about hormone literacy, hashtag hormone literacy or hormone CEO. Until the next time, have an amazing day. 